Hey guys, Lisa Stanley here, your Rentienta, and today's show is going to the dogs, literally. Welcome to What Goes On Around Here with me, your rentayenta, Lisa Stanley. Today I'm excited to talk to these two guys, Danny Shaw and Ron Dante. I don't know about you guys, but I love animals so much. Sometimes even more than humans. Uh, Danny and Ron have rescued over 10,000 dogs, and now they have a featured documentary coming out called Life in the Doghouse. We'll discuss that and their rescue organization they run in their own home. Welcome, horsemen and dogmen. <laughs> we probably have a lot of people uh, we know in the horse business. Uh, let's uh, introduce Danny and Ron. Say hello, both of you. Hello, hello all of you. <laughs> You're on What Goes On Around Here, and today we're going to talk about what goes on in the world of Danny and Ron and life in the doghouse. Uh, but let's start out telling people about you guys. You guys are in the horse world, hunters, jumpers. And uh, all the time I've been to many horse shows, I, I used to ride myself. So in the barns, there's always a ton of dogs just running loose, Jack Russells, little wiener dogs. So I know that your world has always been inclusive, not just of the horses, but of dogs. Correct? Correct. Yeah, okay. dogs and horses always, you know, the one thing is horse people are animal lovers, so they also are great dog lovers that's for sure and you two boy you top the list all right so you two are actually a, a couple you've been together for 30 years over uh not over <laughs> a little under <laughs> a little under 30 years you live in south carolina which i guess you'd have to to have all the property to house all the animals that we're going to get into how big is your property do you have neighbors that are close we have neighbors semi-close but we're on 15 acres and uh one neighbor behind us is an animal hater. That's what I was going to ask. Because and, uh, you must have a lot of barking going on in the house and outside. Do they complain? Um, occasionally there's complaints when the dogs go out too early and sort of have fun and make too much noise. Recently we planted 175 cedar trees around the property to help Buffett. And all, everybody that works there is is on guard right now to stop the barking. <laughs> I mean, who would be complaining about that? Well, when I moved there originally in the 80s, I had a cat, and my cat went over the fence and went into his yard, and he called me immediately and said, what are you going to do to keep your cat in your yard? Shoot so. you. That's what I would have said. <laughs> but okay, that's just me. All right, let's start with Danny. You grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, where you were discovered. Uh, yes. Um, I started riding when I was 10. It was a Christmas pony. And... Um, from there, I just couldn't stop it, and uh, it was an obsession, and I just kept going, and I didn't realize there were big shows like the ones we normally go to today, um, and so when I was at a local show, and I was seven, 16, I guess, um, one of the judges uh, came up to me and said, where's your mother? And I said, oh, she's right there, of course, because she always was, and uh, so she said, I want to talk to you and your mother, and she said you got to get out of this place. You need to come up and learn to ride and come ride with us for the summer and learn about the bigger places and bigger things, and I can help you do that. And, of course, my worry was money. Because uh, it is very expensive to have horses. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she said, I'll work that part out. Don't worry. So that was 
I thought I'd been discovered. Well, I would say you had been. And since you won a Life Achievement Award in 2010, you've been inducted into the National Show Hunter Hall of Fame. You've competed for over 35 years. You've trained, judged. You've pretty much done it all in the horse world. And what is your favorite part? Judging, riding, training? When I was young enough to really feel athletic and was fortunate enough to have a lot of good horses, I think then the riding overtook everything. Um, but as I've set back from that part and, and I've always trained people and stuff, but the point, the whole thing is that I've enjoyed so much of it all the time and I, I really enjoy judging. Um, I don't get to do it as much as I'd like and I don't want to do it too much either. So it's really the perfect thing. (laughs) I love that answer. (laughs) All right. And I think why you don't like to do it too much is because you and Ron have uh, the best, in my opinion, uh, rescue organization in the world because it's in your own home. Right? (laughs) So let's get to you, Ron. No, it's in their home. The dog's home. Well, that's true. That's true. We are the guests. You're, you know what? You're, you're right about that. All right. So, Ron, you grew up in a horsey neighborhood, as described, outside of Chicago. And by seven, you were showing hunters and jumpers, and you knew you always wanted to work with the animals. At what age did you decide that's what you wanted to do? Seven? I knew, yeah, real early on. I mean, I just, I loved horses. I loved dogs, cats, birds, frogs. But you yet know. you went to school to be an accountant. Well, I did that <laughs> mainly because I knew I didn't want to be a veterinarian. Why? My vet sucks me dry. So I think that is the best job. <laughs> I guess the part I didn't want to do is, you know, putting them to sleep. Oh, boy. So. I knew I didn't want to do that. My parents were very insistent on me having to go to college. And so I was always very good in math in school. And so that was kind of my easy out to appease my parents. So I figured, okay, I'm going to put math into it. I'll do accounting. once. And while I was in college, I still was already starting to teach professionally. And it's a good thing he did do accounting because I'm the farthest thing from it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say that probably came in handy now in your business. Yeah, I do all the billing. I would imagine so. Okay, so you also became a successful trainer, a judge. You've won over 20 hunter championships, and you were named Horseman of the Year in 2013 by the Chronicle of the Horse. Yes. How fantastic (laughs) is that? I mean, you guys are really studs, no pun intended. (laughs) But let's talk about Danny and Ron's Rescue and the feature documentary, which is why you're here, called Life in the Doghouse. comes out September 12th. Um, Let's talk about how the documentary came to be. Okay. And either one of you go ahead and jump in. Well, Ron Davis is the um, director that produced Life in the Doghouse. He came to our house um, because he was told by many people that if he was going to get a second dog, he needed to come get one from us. Right. So we should tell everybody that um, a lot of people have dogs, but nobody has dogs like these guys. They've rescued over 10,000 dogs since uh, uh, 2005. You guys rescued 600 dogs in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, which I think is how all of this started for you. And I think if my numbers are correct, that this is so important because 4 million dogs get euthanized a year. Yeah, it's actually that number. When the film was being being produced, it was 4 million. It's actually cut down to 2 million something oh! now. So, well, that's the best news. So that is great news. That's that fantastic. The, you know, in 1998, it was like 13 
point something million way back in the 90s. So we've come a long way. But for all of you animal lovers, to Danny and I, even 10 dogs getting euthanized only because they don't have a home is too many. Your exact one is too many. And, and so, actually, oh, sorry. Go ahead. The, the number that you quoted, 10,000, now it's 11,500 and something. I love it. I love it, you guys. And the thing is that these guys, as they said, they live in the dog's home. It started out as their home. It became the dog's home. And what do you have, over 70 dogs at a time in your home? Or yeah, home? usually it <laughs> averages in the 70s. I mean, right now we have 84 in the house when we left. So the so Ron is the dude's name that uh, came to you for the documentary. So he came to your house, saw what was going on, and said, we got to make a movie about this? Yeah, he looked at us and he just you know, looked at both of us and he said, you two are going to be my next documentary. And we all just laughed and chuckled and went on. Because you'd never thought of that, right? No. No, and we didn't really think about it then. We just thought it was a nice departure compliment. (laughs) So he kept contacting us for quite a while, wined and dined and kept getting together with us and saying, please do this documentary. We just kept saying, no, we don't think we're interesting enough. We don't think... You know, how many times do you want to watch such as feed dogs, medicate dogs, blah, blah, blah. But it's not just about watching you. It's hearing the story and seeing what you've done. I mean, think about it. You started out just because there was an act of of, of, uh, nature that that caused so many homeless animals that you two decided to go rescue them. And from that, this happened. That's a lot to talk about. It is. I mean, we after now seeing the movie Life in the Doghouse... We realize, I guess, how the public would see us interesting. But in the beginning, we, because we live and breathe it and do it, so we just think it's a daily routine. Well, it is daily for you, but your rescue uh, is so different from any other. Would you explain your process of your rescue, where the dogs come from, how you get homes for them? Yeah, most of our dogs um, come from animal shelters. We go into shelters all over the country. Um, We do do it when there's national disasters like we did the Louisiana flood zones. We came down with the bus and got dogs. When Houston flooded last year with the hurricane, we actually had to charter planes to fly the dogs because of the water on the roads. We could not get our bus in, so they told us we would not be able to get close. So we had to send, you know, private planes that could land on a small airfield and bring the dogs to us. But, you know, we get a lot of uh, the... What about Puerto Rico? Did you guys get to Puerto Rico? We tried with Puerto Rico, and when we got started, then distemper broke out in the dogs. And then they stopped all dogs coming to the States because of the distemper. Right. So that was a a hard thing. But, you know, we get a lot of dogs from the court systems, you know, the abuse cases and stuff that are taken away from the owners. So we take a lot of those. We take a lot of elderlies that, you know, are doing chemo treatment, or we take a lot of um, soldiers that are being deployed. If it's a short deployment, we'll try to keep them and foster them for them. But if they really want to give their dog up, we try to find a home for them so they don't have to end up in a shelter. God, you guys, God bless you. We um, actually, a lot of the veterinarians call us at this point when people bring dogs in and want to put them to sleep and they're perfectly healthy or they've why, had... Why do they want to put them to sleep? Just because they have to get rid of them? They don't have to get rid of them. They just choose to. I'm over this. What? I don't like. I don't want my dog anymore. What and this, a human being? This, this happens a lot. and uh, Or if it's injured and it's going to cost too much for them, they would rather put it down. And so the vets will actually call us and uh, see if, if we want to try to save this dog and get him, get the people to sign it over to us. And uh, Because the vets, if the vets think they wanna, they're want they good dogs and they want to live, we want them to live too. I mean, we just took in a terrier last week in Palm Beach County, Florida, and the <laughs> owner 
the dog is only six months old and the owner, it didn't work with his lifestyle and he was taking him to a veterinarian to be put to sleep and that's how we got him. What? So Can't you find a home for the dog before you go to the vet no, and try to he, kill it? They just want, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So it's so they don't realize how much love Have dogs you guys ever thought about maybe teaching people about, because I do see this a lot, like when Easter comes, about them warning people about getting bunnies because it's Easter. Do you go around and lecture or talk, or do you, do you have any way to let people know what they should look for before they adopt, like if their lifestyle is right for the dog? Or Well, that's actually brought up in the movie. Oh, good. Um, we've covered a lot of bases in the movie that we didn't re- even realize we'd, we'd done. We just answered questions and commented and realized and what, and put a what lot is together. the answer to that i don't know that there's an exact answer but i think one thing is uh people buying a pet for someone else is a wrong decision because they're not investigating whether that person is ready or, or really wants that responsibility and so then they're the first person who'll go ditch it somewhere else when the boyfriend and girlfriend break up um i think that a lot of people think presents like pets or, or dogs are, are great at Christmas and after the novelty wears off and the cute puppy gets bigger and it chews more things and mommy gets mad and you know the honeymoon's yep. over there yeah um, we always we get also, an influx of puppy dogs what we call puppy dogs the shelters all see that starting like, like February holiday. March yeah. April is when they're sick of the little puppy that chewed the couch or chewed the cord or did you know chewed their phone cord and so that's when so many of them go into the shelters and we sadly at the at the end of any hunting season uh, that uses hounds we probably end up with five to ten hounds every fall oh, or boy. every uh, start Spring. of winter oh boy they're and, uh, just done with them they just they're just yeah they turn them loose they're either turned loose or they got lost from the pack and nobody bothered to find them isn't there a way that you could do like an application like you do for an adoption of a human isn't there a way for dogs to be adopted by the by that kind of a you know we have a very strict adoption contract we do google earth we check to make sure when you say that you have a fence we check that you do have a fence on oh, your property. google earth so you could actually see we it we can actually see it okay, you know we check good. veterinarians <laughs> that's uh, if somebody lies to us on an application yes they're a do not adopt Obviously. written on their application but in our application the, every dog is microchipped and it stays under danny and ron's rescue the minute a dog is scanned somewhere that they've been lost my cell phone rings and you get the dog and back. i know it if they've lost it more than two times, the dog becomes property of our rescue again. It also reads, you can so never you give a- the dog away or take it to a shelter. You can't even give it to your mother or your brother. They have to go through the application process so we know where the dog is. In the contract, it reads, if you give the dog away, you agree to pay us $5,000 and you will be sued. And out of 11500 we've only had it happen once, and we actually sued the lady and took her home away. So. Snap! <laughs> you took the home <laughs> <away>. <laughs> part of this, uh, part of this um, started because when we decided we really were becoming a rescue, um, in discussion about it, we decided to make a promise to every dog we took in that once it was in our name, it's never going to have to suffer again or be in a shelter or be in a bad home. And uh, because we're going to see it through to the very end. I love that. Are you the only rescue that does this with a contract? Or is this something now that everyone is starting to learn from you guys? I think people are starting to learn from it. Um, 
there are a lot of rescues that do not have this tight of a contract. Um, you know, we just believe that when they come into our rescue, we treat them like they're our own personal dog. No matter what they need medically, we do eye transplants, we do corneal transplants. And this comes we, from your own finances? You, you, you pay to do all this yourself? We did in the beginning because we weren't a 501c3 nonprofit. So we were taking it out of our retirement fund and we used 40% of each of our retirement fund during the Katrina dogs. And so we were fortunate that a lawyer in Michigan read about all of our rescue work. And so she called and said, look, you guys are going to go broke if you're not a nonprofit where people can help you do this. So she said, I'm going to do be your lawyer pro bono and I will make you a 501c3. And thanks to her, she's still our attorney. And, um, you know, we're very fortunate. Do you have a staff at uh, your house or the dog's house that you live in? We well, we do now. Um, how much? How many people? Is it eight? I think eight full-time people and some volunteer step-ins. Does a little anybody bit. live in the home besides you and the dogs? You uh, two and when, the dogs. When the dogs and Ron and I are together, it's just us. Uh, but we, because of the horse shows, we have to travel quite a bit. And now, just this year, because of the the movie, we're doing more traveling as well. Uh, but we always have someone there. That's the head of the whole thing and uh, spend the night every night we're away we want someone there 24 7 and that's another reason we keep the microchip like that because if anybody finds an animal at any time or or they're on the side of the road or anything um they can they can call us and we'll be faster to answer than a shelter that's closed on the weekend or right, that right. sort of thing. So. And, and also, you guys do something very different than, than most uh, shelters. You don't cage your animals, do you? We crate all of ours because we believe in teaching them about crate training. Yeah, but crate training, training is great. I mean, my friend's dogs, that's where they want to be. Right, even if the doors crate. are open. But yes. we have crates throughout the whole dog house because we feed individually because they all have to get different diets depending on their health issues. And so every dog is fed individually in a crate. Once they've eaten, as we say, we open the floodgates. And so we open it all, and then they have free run of the house going we have doggy doors they have all the yards they can go out in so they have free not tr- for nothing but are they all potty trained or are we stepping in piss and poop all through well the there are there are accidents when people ask are they house trained i said yes they are house trained they go in the house <laughs> so <laughs> so but we do try to you know teach them about and that's what we do is like after they have eaten in their crate they go we we call them all outside so they start learning to be housebroken do they do they fight or do they all get along? i mean you got no, 70 dogs we're very blessed because because we believe in the in kind of the Caesar Milan theory of you have to be a pack leader. Yes. And so we are definitely the pack leaders. And knock on wood, we really live in the doghouse with harmony. They all seem to get along. Because I, I'm a believer that the dogs know that you're the ones who are loving them. And so they're behaving for you is my belief. Yes, yeah. That, that's how I felt. So how do you get funded now that you are a nonprofit organization? Where is the money coming from now? We don't have an adoption fee, which is unusual, again, for most rescues. Sure I mean, is. they're all spayed, neutered, whatever medical needs they have, dentals. You know, if they need corneal transplants, we do everything so that that dog is ready to go to its forever home. But we only survive on donations. And we, how, how can people donate? You're going to tell us at the end. Everybody stay tuned because at the end we're going to tell you how you can get involved, how you can donate. We'll tell you when you can see the film. Um, but I, what I really uh, love is it's already won film, some film festivals, right? You've already gotten some kudos at the film festivals? Oh, yes. Yeah, we were told in Provincetown um, that... 
in 20 years that they don't get standing ovations for documentaries and all three showings we had large standing ovations we just came from newport rhode island we had even in the field with 1200 people we had a standing ovation and uh dallas we did that this past saturday and that was a full standing ovation so, so. i i think i'm not speaking out of turn but most people like animals more than people and so <laughs> they i do. think <laughs> i mean i'm one of those people so i think that's why the reception to your documentary is going to be huge because you're showing them real life and how you are saving so many lives of these animals um so the movie's called life in the doghouse comes out september 12th and where will everybody be able to see it here it is playing, um, there's a group called Gather. Okay. Okay. If you go to Life in the Doghouse, either on Facebook or the website, you can click on Bring the Movie to a Theater Near You. You put in your zip code, um, and you can become what's called the head captain. And what you do is you pick whatever movie theater you want it at, the day, the time, and then they will tell you, depending on the size of the theater, how many seats you need to get pre-sold. And it's just regular movie prices, $10, $11, whatever a movie theater charges. Once you meet that, then you get the green light. It's guaranteed to go there. And people can make fundraisers. You can choose a, uh, some other dog rescue here in L.A. and make them the profit for the movie. Um, the beautiful thing of this movie is Ron Davis, the movie producer, generously is donating all of his profits to animal shelters throughout yeah. the United States. Fantastic. So it's really a great cause. Do you have? Do you guys have a favorite one that you kind of travel with, that you take with you? I mean, do you have your own personal dog? Um, we have, we, do. <laughs> we have yeah, six we do. dogs that we travel with. What? Six dogs? <laughs> yes. Where do you put them? They Every, ride in the car they and want. they come to the hotel. <laughs> what about in the airplane? How do you take six dogs? Oh, no, we don't. We don't, we do don't on the plane, oh, but okay. they, they travel to the horse shows and they sit on it. We have a three-seater golf cart, like a limo size, and so all the dogs are on that. So everybody at the horse show knows, you know, when we're there because that's kind of the trademark. <laughs> I mean, that's the greatest that you travel with six dogs. What breeds are they, may I ask? <laughs> they are all mixed breeds. They're all, all rescues. Mixed. Most of the time, they're ones that had physical or mental problems, and so we've just brought them under our wing and they become our personal dogs Boy, they don't make men like you two i'm i'm here to tell you you guys are really special people and who's saying is this within the heart of every animal lies a simple desire to be loved that's ron <laughs> well humans too just so you know well no we? it is humans but you know when you when you go to those shelters and you look in their eyes. I can't go to the shelters i just can't bring myself to go because i will want every one of them in there no, it's hard, but we tell everybody, if you can't adopt, and we get it, everybody can't adopt a dog. They don't have fi you know, the finances for it or the room or they already have two dogs. But even if you go for 30 minutes to a rescue or a shelter and just go sit and sing to them or pet them or give you them five minutes like of love. You mean just go visit like you would visit in a yes. hospital a sick patient? Exactly. Just yes. go visit them. I never them. thought of that. They are so happy. I mean, to have a child or a person sit out in front of their kennel and just talk to them and oh rub, rub them. I mean, that does so oh, much for them. That breaks my heart. And if you can't do that, then bring some supplies. Bring towels. Bring newspapers. Bring laundry detergent. Or bring money. Or bring money. Money <laughs> is always... I mean, I can assure you all the shelters... Um, need are money. always always need money. Yeah, Maya vet was always asking me for towels and sheets yeah. and yep. you know things things like that. So I'm always bringing stuff over uh, to to the vets for that kind of stuff. I mean, the hardest part is you know, and what I is the hardest I say part? it in the movie. 
I get very frustrated because the shelters get so much bashing because they are a shelter that kills. Are no, you mean there are some shelters that are no kill? Oh, there are some no kill shelters. You know that they, they are. That's a much smaller number. Um, but the kill shelters, they are not the guilty ones. They are. It's the community's fault. The overpopulation, all the dogs that aren't spayed and neutered. So the shelters are the ones, you know, our shelter in Camden, South Carolina, which is a very small rural town, they take in over 5,000 animals a year. So where are those animals going to go? That's what I ask everybody. And so it's, they are not really the bad guys. They're just having to do the dirty work for, yeah. And they do try the very hardest to get them adopted. I mean, they keep them as long as they possibly can. What about this this horrible thing going on with the is it the Yulin dogs? Uh, oh yeah, the Yulin meat, meat yes. dogs. Yes, it's very hard. Can beca- you rescue any of them before they go to the butcher? I mean, there are groups that are rescuing those. I know Lisa Vanderpump is very from the Housewives of Beverly Hills, right? Very involved in that, right? I mean, and that's kind of another mission. I mean, we go to Aruba for our two weeks vacation. We always bring like this year we brought eighteen thousand dollars in supplies and front, you know, heart. Pr- heart guard and everything you don't, and you don't go prevention. on vacation and bring dogs home do we you? do we bring them home every year <laughs> why did i know that <laughs> and we also helped fund to send nine veterinarians there two years ago and they did a 750 cats and dogs free on the island of spay and neuter so there's a, a charity called mending kids are you familiar with it yes okay. i am this is very similar it's like you're mending dogs it's a very similar concept if you're getting doctors to do free surgeries on them is that what goes down yeah, because so many of those people can't afford it. You know, it's like yeah, on the on honestly, the island, it's, it's so expensive. expensive, and it's expensive in the states. And so, you know, we just feel the key piece. We would love to have to go out of business. That's what I was going to ask you. What's your goal? What's your goal, you guys? To go out of business. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> You're tired. <laughs> uh, no, we. I, what we want is just to see a big difference in numbers. Of well, I would say the, we're already seeing that from the four million euthanized down to two million. You yeah, said? no, that's that's a, that is a very good sign. I mean, right? I think I think we're big. we're in the right, going in the right direction. Our mission, Danny and I, is we want to educate the youth of today, the youth of America, so that they get on the bandwagon of spay and neuter and realize that we have to cut these numbers down. So, can you give them some advice now? I know it's all in the movie, and they will go see Life in the Doghouse. But for right now, someone's driving in their car, listening to this on radio.com in their house. Something that maybe a piece of advice that they haven't heard, something that you want to get through to these younger people. I think one thing is, is, you know, besides spay and neuter, is don't be the person in your car that sees a dog on the side of the road and goes, oh, my God, I feel so badly for it and drive by. Okay, that happens. Danny and I are always the ones that stop and pick up the turtles on the road. We pick up all the dogs, even hit by cars on the side of the road. You know, people drive by them and the dog has been hit and it's laying there still alive. You know, and they just drive by it. They drive by it. They drive by it. And, you know, Bad we, karma always, people. we always stop and, you know, we have blankets in our car all the time to help, you know, lift them up and take them to the vets. And, you know, we get calls probably four times a week of animals hit on the road. They don't know who the owner is. And will we take them in and do the surgery like we just took a German Shepherd mix last week? 
in South Carolina that was thrown out of a window at 70 miles an hour and a good Samaritan saw it. So she picked the dog up, but it had a broken spine and broken pelvis. And so it is still at the specialty clinic because it's already had two surgeries. Well, they're prosecuting people like that now, you know. Yeah, they just don't do that much, though. They get fined $250. And I mean, our our judicial system is weak. Oh, really? Not in this state. Oh, good. There was a guy not too long ago, not once but twice, took his dog uh, to uh, Griffith Park. We have a big park here called Griffith Park and threw it over the cliff. The dog came back up. Another person that just happened to be driving by saw him do it again after the dog came, got the dog, picked up the dog, took the dog home, and there was video surveillance from a house. And they got that guy, and that guy went to jail. Wonderful. I love hearing that story. Here we are very, very strict when it has to do with abuse of animals. Good. I mean, because it's it's just a horrible thing. I don't know why people abuse animals to begin with. I guess it's a power trip or, I don't know, makes them feel good. Or why they abuse each other or children. Yeah, right. It's all the same thing. So have either of you ever been bitten by animals? Oh, yes. (laughs) Numerous times. Stitches? Uh, no, I've never had stitches. No, luckily. I haven't. How about either. you? No? no, no. Well, that's pretty good. We so. get a lot of puppy mill dogs, you know, from the puppy mills, which is a horrific thing. And for all your listeners, I mean, that's one thing. Everybody always thinks if you go to a pet store and you buy a dog and you're saving it, you are not saving it because 99.9% of all dogs in pet stores come from puppy mills. Why do we even have pet stores anymore? We really shouldn't have them. Why I mean, shouldn't they be against the law? Good breeders. You know, you have to sign your life away in blood if you want a good golden retriever. And Danny and I have no problem. If you are breed specific and go to a good breeder, we have no problem with that. So I did that with my dog. I got um, a little Maltese, but you can't see her because all of my... uh, (laughs) I'm trying to show you, but I'll show you later. Anyway, I did that with my Maltese. I had... This is how strict they were. I had to fly to the city where the dog was. They had to like investigate me it was like a whole thing on me they would not i wanted them just to send the dog right no way you got to come get the dog they had to check me out and it really was a fantastic dog i lost her two years ago still really not over her as you can tell but that is the only dog that i've ever gotten from a breeder every other dog has been a rescue um in fact i just found a dog on the street I don't know, maybe a month ago, and I drove around the neighborhood and got out of my car knocking on doors to see if anyone recognized the dog in the neighborhood. Nobody did. So I took the dog to the vet to see if the dog was chipped. And that is something I recommend. First thing you should do if it doesn't have a tag is go right to a vet. They'll scan it, and you'll know right away if you're able to find the owner of that dog. And I was. Another thing that we do is... We request, we can't make, um, every adopter keep a collar on it with your cell number on it. Because if you were at a rest stop or a parking area or, or side in of an the road. Too, or in an accident, Or in an accident on the road. And I, saw, I saw that happen. And, um, but people will readily pick up a cell phone and contact that number. Yeah. But a lot of times, if they have to go back into town and drive to a vet's or something like that, they're going to pass it by. So here's something that's interesting that people should know. So I had a chow, and it had a tag, of course, with the dog's name, Bo, Bodacious, and my phone number. That dog started to bite a lot, and it put 32 stitches in one of my friend's ankles. So I, she was kind enough not to tell the hospital that the dog 
bit her out of nowhere because right. the dog just got up and bit her. She said she stepped on the dog's tail and aggravated it. So that was good. But I felt like it was going to be a problem now. So I sent the dog to my friend, who you guys know, Erica Much. Yes. At the time, Erica and her husband, Bert, had um, a farm in Virginia. So I sent the dog to the farm. I said, you go nip the cow's uh, legs and see how <laughs> you fare there. And about six months later... Erica did not tell me that the dog had run away because she knew I would be devastated. But six months later, I got a call from a Kentucky police officer who had the dog and read the phone number, which was still my number, off of it and called me. So the point I'm making is if you're rescuing dogs or you're getting a dog, change out the caller with the name and the number. Because when I told the guy you're calling Los Angeles, he he almost dropped the phone. He was... That dog went all the way from California? <laughs> I said, no, no, from Virginia to Kentucky, which I didn't even know how far that was. But he said he came a long way through the woods and he had ticks all over him. Yeah, so, now we get that a lot with our adopters because every dog that immediately when they walk in the doghouse, they get a collar with my cell phone embroidered on it. Oh. Every dog at the rescue. Those collars go with our adopted dogs and the adopters are asked when they get their own collar to mail them back, which... Do you they know, do we, that? No, I would say out of a thousand that we adopt a year, we maybe get 15 callers back. What? So I will get phone calls, you know, that a dog has been adopted for four years, and it's the same thing. A state patrolman will call me from Pennsylvania and say, oh, I just picked up your dog. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's not my dog, but i got to find out whose it is. So then we have to research in the thing. But it's amazing. Like, I mean, I know you would. But when you get your new dog, wouldn't you want to put your own phone number on it? Hello, Z. First of all, my dog never left its bag, okay? <laughs> and it never left my arm, okay? That's how I roll with the dog. That dog came everywhere with me. She was my plus one. I took that dog everywhere. Um, so, Well, those are the kind of owners we look for. You talk about an, an, another point about the rescue and your your dog that started by or bit, bit someone. Yes. Um, Sometimes the dogs in the shelters, and even in ones we have too, will bite. But you have to remember the reason, the only reason they come to us with that is out of fear. And you have to picture every dog being put in some crate or kennel and then not knowing who is there and not feel like they're being loved at that point. And so then the next thing you know, somebody wants to see it, so somebody's going after them. Mm. And dogs like that get so used to being gone after that it puts a fear factor in them, and they they become defensive. So how do you recommend? What, what's your recommendation? Well, what, what we learned, and believe me, we learned it from our own experience, um, if you have something like that, or if you adopt a shy dog, whatever... Don't expect them to come up and be your best dog in the world in the first week. They have a lot of adjustment time to go through. Like they what? Have... Give us an example. Like when you first bring dogs into your your place, like give us an example of what they might have done that you would think, uh-oh, but you knew that it was just trauma for them. Well, sometimes it can be a dog that's been with only one owner and that person dies or either gives it up. Sometimes they've never been around enough other dogs, ah. and they can be just a little intimidated by the other dog's action. Um, most of the time, it's not anything real serious, but you have to give them the time to come to you. 
And, and do you recommend? The, do you also recommend going down to the ground to be on their level? Yes, you always let the dogs come to you. Like if you're above them, and especially me, I'm six foot eight. Oh, you, you know are that can tall. be that can be intimidating to them. <laughs> you guys so. are going to see a picture, and next to me, forget <laughs> it. It's like Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> but you, you know, you sit on the floor and you encourage them to come to you. We leave drag leashes on a lot of our puppy mill dogs because they're so petrified. And our dog trainer taught us years ago: do not let them go under a piece of furniture or a desk and hide, because in their brain they get that behavior down. And those brain waves keep saying, this is my safety zone. So we, we take drag leashes, we tie them to employees' belt loops, and those dogs go everywhere with them, the ones that are very scared. Or sometimes we may couple them to a very strong, secure dog that is, has very, you know, very good manners and is a good pack leader. And that dog will teach them, when we say come, it will teach them to come to us. How did you guys learn? Last question. How did you guys learn to do this? Trial and error. <laughs> is that right? Nobody sat down like Caesar Milan didn't no, come in and sit down with it. you. We had to learn it. Wow. But you know, that's the difference in our dogs because when somebody adopts a dog from us, they've been our house dog. So we can tell you, are they good with children? You know, what their personalities are. And that's, you know, when they live in kennels, it's very hard because the scared ones, you always see it stay in the back of the kennel. Right. They never get adopted. Aww. So we try to pull those type of dogs. That's what we take in because we have what we think are the skills to socialize them. So my grandma used to say to me, there's a, a, a lid for every pot and <laughs> there's a dog for every person is what I like to think. The right, the right lid will come your way. Um, I'm really excited to see this. There's going to be a screening September 5th. Yes. That uh, I'm going to be at with my friends. And so I cannot wait to see this. And for all of you animal lovers out there, and if you're not, you shouldn't be listening to this. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> uh, tell everybody again, Life in the Doghouse comes out September 12th. And where can they see it or find it? If you go to Life in the Doghouse on Facebook or the website, and you can just see, it says Life in the Doghouse. Do you want to bring the, the movie to a theater near you? If you click on it, it shows where it's playing, or you can also put your zip code in and request to bring it to your area. And the website to the rescue? It is... DannyRonsRescue.org. Is there social media? Do you guys do social media at all? You have any social Twitter, Instagram? We have Instagram, which and is we're what? on Facebook, which is called Don, Danny and Ron's and Rescue. Ron's Rescue. Okay. Yep, on Instagram. Well, there you go. Well, like I said earlier, this show literally went to the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but because I'm such an animal lover, I loved this show. And I want to thank you guys uh, for flying out here and for what you do every single day for these animals and for what you're going to continue to do. Thank you. Well, thank you for having thank us. Thank you for We're having honored. us so much.